Hello and welcome to the B Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Tonight I am joined by Milos. Yeah. And we are uh, back to the TARDIS Chronicles again with the second straight week of the uh, 60th anniversary special. This one is titled Wild Blue Yonder. Um, And I realized as I was watching this one, which was, you know, not to tip my hand too much, but this one was also very good. We were both fans of the first one, the Star Beast. Um, and this one was also... Did I just shut it off? No. Okay. Never mind. Um, don't mind me. Uh, I thought I accidentally terminated the robot. Um, so I like this one a lot as well, but I also realized as this one was ending, I'm like, wait, this thing is basically over already because next week is it. And then we're going to get the new guy, uh, which I'm also really excited for. But uh, as much as I was looking forward to the three shows and three week schedule when they announced it, it was just kind of like, hey, now it's over already. Wow. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I think um, the worst part is actually waiting the week to week because it's like, these drop like back to back to back. Yeah. No, it's definitely better than like the when they did the Whitaker ones and it was like, hey, we're going to drop one, then it's going to be three months, then we're going to drop another one, then it's going to be three months, then we're going to drop another one. Like, I prefer this. Part, and the, the one, I think we talked about this uh, last week when we did Yeah. But the one thing I'm really looking forward to is actually getting constant Doctor Who every year. No more oh, big yeah. year yeah. draw, you know, gap between seasons. Yep. It's like I yeah, need my six man. Like if I get if I get the yeah. season plus a special year, that's like that's where you want to be. Yep, Russell T Davies has said, you know, one of his big priorities uh now that he's in charge of a show again is he wants to eliminate all eliminate all the gap gap periods. Like he just wants to do the one season a year and probably Christmas and go back to what go back to what this show was doing when he ran it the first time. Um, so that will be good, I think, for hey, the audience. Yeah, because some of the gaps were kind of ridiculous, and a lot of them were, you know, especially when Moffat was in charge, it was all based around Sherlock, really, because he had this thing where he couldn't write Who and Sherlock at the same time, so they were willing to go to Doctor Who and be like, hey, yeah, take a year off because he's got to write Sherlock or whatever. And I was just like, okay, great, awesome. Uh, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about or anything. Um, so this is for uh, 60th anniversary special number two, Wild Blue Yonder. Um, this is a much more simplistic plot than the one from last week, which I had to watch twice to even really follow everything uh, last week, um, just because they obviously with some of the you know, the back history plays in, into the first one way more than this one. Um, so basically, I, mean, I, did, this I think we did cover it when we said basically the thing that they had to do with the first one is you, you had to build up, you know, pretty much everything. So yeah. You didn't just drop down. I was like, sure, you didn't go too deep into planning some stuff, but like at the same time, you couldn't just be like, hey, look, she's back. You had to yep. set up. So that's understandable. Yep. No, I mean it. It 
it makes sense why they di- had to do it that way because you did have to you did basically have to write out of whatever you're you had to write out of the existing situation with Donna so you had to some time had to go to yep. that like you said you you couldn't just have her show up and be like oh you know that thing that was almost going to kill me before that you know had to make sure that I never remembered who you were I kind of made that go away uh they just kind of did that on camera instead um which you know say what you will about that i guess but um so this one basically picks up right from where the last one left off i feel like all three of these are going to do that they can basically be treated as oh, yeah. one continuous thing if you really wanted to do that um so you know in the, at the end of the star beast he actually cut it off into three specials really because if he dropped like a three hour special people would just be like what the hell are you doing i mean personally i'd be yeah for it. I, like if he just drops as one big episode oh. like, <laughs> yeah i would I, I wonder if the last one's gonna be longer than an hour just because usually i mean when he, he does might sense he's like i can watch uh, lord of the rings extended edition i have no problem with the three to five hour doctor who episode so i'm yeah well when i watch these again i'll probably just watch it all in a line too which basically exactly because they're basically just i mean it's gonna be the same thing with the third one it's just gonna continue where this one cut off so right one big episode probably got into three pieces yeah. Yep. So, um, so at the end of the Star Beast, Donna dumps coffee onto the TARDIS console, so the whole thing goes to shit, and it just kind of disappears. And then we cut to um, what I assume would have been, oh, wasn't it like 1666 England? Right? I think yeah. that was the exact period. And there's a guy... A guy like sitting under an apple tree, and I, even without them saying anything, immediately went to Isaac Newton. Um, and and uh, so the TARDIS shows up, comes flying out of nowhere, and lands in a tree. The Doctor and Donna pop out the door, and there's a bunch of funny dialogue about, you know, they they realize that they're talking to Isaac Newton. It's before he was knighted, so. One of them mentions that, and that hasn't happened yet. So he's like, "Sir, really? Oh, okay." Spoilers. Um, Donna, Donna makes some crappy joke about the gravity of the situation, and even as even as she's teeing it up, I'm like, "No, Donna, don't do it. No, no, no." Um, and even the doctor is kind of like, "Yeah, he, even he's like, Donna, don't do it. Please, Donna, no, no." Yep. And yeah, even I was kind of like, no, it's so lame. No, but then, but then she does. She makes the obvious joke, and it was actually she has she has the great comedic timing anyway. So like to me, it wasn't. I feel like it would have been worse if he had done it, because it was it would just I don't know yeah. something about it. I think it would have yeah. come off way worse if he had done it. Um, yeah, so it comes yeah, off just a little natural, more naturally when Donna does it. Yeah, it's just a little detour for a joke. It has nothing to do with the actual story or anything. Um, they don't, you know, Isaac Newton doesn't show up again in the course of the episode or anything like that. I think it's just a, a little detour for a joke, which is fine. You know, very rarely does this show actually do that. I mean, usually it it's, if, if there is some sort of joke opening, it is something that actually leads into the episode later. This is the first time I remember seeing something that was, 
essentially like a Family Guy cold open on a Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's quite entertaining. Um, like you said in our our pre-show section, there is like a running gag through it because he hear he after they leave, he kind of remembers the word that Donna said, but he remembers it incorrectly. So gravity is now named Mavity in this universe because that's the word that he remembers. Um, and that that joke comes up a couple of times in this fairly serious episode, really. I mean, it, it has, you know, it has funny moments because I don't think anything with, with Tennant and Catherine Tate can be completely devoid of that. But it's way. I actually found it to be way more serious than the Star Beast was, um, just because I think they were really oh, yeah. leaning into a lot of the comedy. Um, so basically, what happens is the. I think. Uh, I think at the same time, Donna. I mean, Tate and Denon have such chemistry from working together to begin with. It's like, and we we brought this up. We did the Star Beast. Basically, they just sit back right into these roles and that chemistry. I. Never went away. They just play off each other perfectly. Yeah, they do. And they've also had, you know, they've done big finish stuff together for, for this, too. Um, all of which I've listened to, and it's all great. Because um, they rule. But that's just me. Um, so, oh, yeah. they end up... The, the TARDIS takes off again, and they end up sort of in a in a... What just looks like first just looks like you know your average hallway on a on a star trek show and so the tardis like boots them out and uh he sticks the the screwdriver in the keyhole is like okay well i guess i need to i guess it's like rebooting itself or whatever or something from all the stuff of the interior change from the last episode which soon will be the 15th doctor set whenever that happens um, and, uh, so he's explaining the whole artist thing again, and it disappears while they're sitting on the, sitting on the spaceship thing, and suddenly they're like, oh, this is bad, because it's gone, and yep. we can't leave now. Um, so, what the doctor posits is that there's, like, a, a threat avoidance system in there in the TARDIS that he had, he believes he had turned off at some point, but because it was, like, regenerating, it might have clicked itself on by reflex. So um, his whole thing is like, okay, well, if we can get rid of whatever the threat is here, then it'll come back. Um, but we can't make it come back until we do that. So Donna being Donna is like, okay, let's just find this, whatever this thing is, and beat the shit out of it, and then we can go home. Um so then they go out into this like cor giant corridor, and to me this this was another one of those moments where like oh this is where all the Disney money's going stuff like this like they wouldn't they would never have been able to do something of this scale on whatever amount of money the BBC was giving them, um, and it looked really impressive too. I almost kind of wondered if it was a uh, if. Disney has given them similar technology to the, uh, like, VR warehouse thing that Favreau uses for The Mandalorian, because um, it sort of looked like that, in the sense of, like, you know, I wondered how big the actual space was and whether it was just, like, stuff on a green screen, but it looked really good, too. So, 
Um, so yeah, they're just kind of wandering around this corridor thing, and um, and then they see this robot just kind of like slumped in a corner, which kind of reminded me of the robot from Hitchhiker's Guide. I half expected it to have the Alan Rickman voice. Um, but, um, so yeah, they sort of interact with the robot and nothing happens because it looks like it's deactivated or whatever. And, um, there's like this countdown going off in a weird language, which they, you know, they don't have the TARDIS, so they don't have the translation shit that they would normally have. Um, so, I mean, I think they make some reference to the doctor might understand it because he knows like five million languages or whatever, but I believe it was something that he didn't really understand. But, uh, so they're looking for. Yeah, he, he makes the, they make the reference of like, you know, Kato, Donna says, like, uh, I, yeah, I get why I don't understand it because TARDIS makes me understand it. But why don't you understand it? Like, don't you? I speak, you know, like whatever, like two million something tongues and he's like yeah and i speak 50 million and 236 but this is one of them yeah uh so they're they're kind of looking around and then uh the golf cart was hilarious um basically the equivalent of a golf cart pops out of the floor and they use that to kind of get around this order thing and then they find like this so it's basically this spaceship that's kind of dead no crew or nothing um and they basically find out that this this ship that they're on is at the absolute edge of the universe um so like they look out like a like a viewing window thing and there's just a bunch of black space in front of them like there's no stars no none of that stuff and the doctor's like hey i've never been out here this is nuts um and that's when it starts to hit Donna that they might be fucked and that they're basically stuck here at essentially the end of the world because there's nothing out there. Um, so then you get into, you know, she talks about her husband some and all that kind of thing. Cause like, well, they do, you know, go, the, oh, they do one at one point. The doctor actually sets at the captain's chair, gets, to hold the language and actually try to understand what's happening with the ship. And then right. one thing he does discover is the fact that three years ago, an airlock opened and airlock closed. Oh, right. That's where that came in. I thought that was later. Okay, yeah. So he does actually get access to the ship's computer and they figure out that a you said a, an airlock opened at some point three years ago and then just kind of seemed to close out of nowhere. And, you know, you're kind of left to go like, okay, um, I did not, for some reason, I did not think. But you don't know why. Yeah, and I I should have thought, you know, given all the Star Trek and all the other stuff I've watched over the years, like, I should have thought, like, oh, there's clearly some alien being on here. And at that point, but um, but then they run into, um, so you find out, I thought at first that there were, you know, they get to a certain point where they're, like, repairing something in that they were, like, repairing a bunch of circuit boards or whatever, and there were, like, these weird cuts between them where, like, you know, they're having two different conversations with each other, Doctor and Donna, and I thought it was, yep. when they first do that, 
I thought it was to indicate that because they were talking before that they're talking about you know how Donna's asking like how long do you think we're gonna be here for like you know what at what point will the TARDIS actually come back and the Doctor's like I don't know you know um, so when they start to have these these two parallel conversations I thought that was supposed to show time was passing and that they had been there for some significant amount of time. Uh, what I didn't realize, and I, you know, I think this is, this is either because I'm an idiot or because Davies wrote this well enough where I didn't even conceive that this is what this could have been. Um, you find out that there are actually these aliens in here that are like impersonating people. And there are two of them, and one of them is impersonating Donna, and one of them is, is impersonating the Doctor, and they're basically just pumping opposite member for information. Uh, so it's not uh, you're not being an idiot because that's exactly how I understood it. I figured Davis no, it, it just wrote it so well. It's it felt flowed so seamlessly that you don't even stop think like you just figure. It's hammering and it shows the passage of time as you yep. also figure it out. But then it's like at one point, and for me, it happened before they showed the long arms. I was like, this yeah. feels off. And then the next scene, it's like, those are a bit longer than they're supposed to be. And then they start yeah. figuring out that they actually have alien imposters on board. Yep. Something about it definitely felt off to me, and I thought it was just. Like like I said earlier, I thought that was just supposed to indicate that they had been there for a really long time, and Not they were, you know, because they write it so flawlessly. Like you never, you don't jump to a conclusion of like, oh, these are alien imposters. No, it's like show the passage of time. They're gonna be here or what? Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, and then yeah, like you said, the the doctor's arms are huge. And like then they realize, oh wait, that's not right. And the the effects were, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be people that will call that cartoony and whatever. But it was act. I found it actually sort of disturbing, like the way they they pulled. Yeah, it was, off it was weird. Nice. Yeah, they they and we'll talk about some of the particular shots as we go through some of it. But some of it really creeped me out. I was like, oh boy. Um, so they figure they figure out that they've been separated from each other and they're dealing with these aliens and um so there's a whole big chase scene where the the imposters are chasing them and as they go down the court and this some of it starts with the golf cart so they're in the golf cart thing blasting away from them and they, I, will, I was just the before alien... we move on I was I would really want to know what it was like or what it would, will be like for Brent to watch this when he's high. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hadn't even really thought of that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, there, there's things in that one that might uh, like, yeah. somebody off. Yeah, he, this one is definitely one of those. That, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the imposters start chasing them, and they start to get, like, huge and distorted and stuff, and that's where it kind of started to bug me. So I was just like... They had like distorted heads 
and it was just like, ew, no, I don't know. Um, yeah, at one point, they get, like, like, in my arms, if I make my arms size, then my jaw drops, and it's like, yeah, and I had the problem I, with the jaw. Perfect stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, um, there's one scene where they are absolutely enormous, and they get wedged in the hallway, and it's just like this mass of crap, and like you see like an eyeball, and I was like, oh no, please no, just don't even show this again. Eey. Um, I don't know, something about it really bugged me on like a basic level, but I thought it was really well done. But I and I wonder yeah. if. Kind of the idea is you're supposed to be kind of creeped out by it, you know, because um, everything in this episode was just off enough to like be just sort of inherently creepy. Which, you know, I can't remember the last time something like that was actually done well on this show. Um, you know, yeah, Moffat has moments. Moffat had his moments of that, but I do feel like a lot of his stories got bogged down. And like, I liked a lot of what Moffat did, but some of the stuff that got more creepy with him was also kind of like bogged down in a lot of the mythology crap, which would take him like five episodes to play anything out ever. Um, and I do sort of appreciate the the whole Davies thing that he can actually do a story in an hour. It actually works. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what, what you find out is that these, these beings are from another from like the universe next door and they are basically trying to, they basically want to take over our universe um, by like impersonating people and, and, you know, just, I assume they can. With well, the idea was that they were on the edge because they kind of established that on the edge of the universe, like the light hasn't penetrated that far yet. You can't really see the stars yep. or anything. There's just a big, big right. void, and it's like what they do, how they set it up is basically being on the edge of nothingness, basically, but they could see and hear what was going on in our world. So, like, they saw the wars, you know, they saw how people treat each other and stuff, and they just, mm -hmm. at some point, that's how they, as they went from their universe or from their nightmares into our universe, they basically kind of got the sense of like this is they learned or they evolved around the fact that you know the war is kind of the solution to problems, if you would. Yeah. So their idea was to actually penetrate our universe and basically just go to war. Yep. So the whole thing was that. But were... only way, only way they can actually do that is they have to mimic they can't form on their own they actually need somebody there because they then they can copy their thoughts and you know obviously their looks their essence yep there was a whole thing of like they needed the fear response in people because it gets your it gets your brain clocking faster and then they were as that was going on, they were able to to replicate people faster. So the whole idea was to like scare the shit out of them so that they could copy. Your them brain goes into overdrive. Yeah. Yep. I liked I liked one of the one of the scenes where you had the the two duplicates with them was uh, that thing where the where the flux came up again. 
which I was actually really impressed by that. Um, because Donna says something about, well, we, yeah, you know, we I talked about I, it, we talked about it pre show, but it's like, you know, they weren't gonna initially dismiss everything that Chibnall did, but at the yeah. same time, it's like, you, you know, some of the, especially the flag stuff, in our opinion, was actually the best stuff that Chibnall did in his three year run. So to dismiss yep. everything that he did just because he did it just felt like something that's not generally what you want to do because it is canon so you, you can't really run away from it it's there it happened unless you actually come right. out in some point and say, oh that that never happened you know it, yeah you, you had the whole thing like doc put it away you know so she, you know she or he would never remember it and stuff like that but you know Right. It's there. It's in the canon. It's in who Doctor is. You can't just dismiss it. Yeah. So, but and there was always going to be questions of what Davis is going to do with it. The fact that he brings it up like second episode in, and he just drops it there. It's like clear indicator if the story I'm writing is developing in that direction. Is there if there's anything there that I that I can use to develop my story? He's gonna he's gonna pull from it. Right. And I did think it was a really well done scene where like because fake Donna says something and this might actually be true, like she might actually have the real Donna might actually have this as well, but um basically she says something uh, like you know later she, on I think when when Doctor brings it up with real Donna, she just kind of offhand dismisses the whole thing. A little yeah. bit too fast if you ask me, so yeah. Yeah, basically there was this whole thing that said like when they did the the thing where she had the weird time lordy regeneration in the Star Beast that she actually saw all the stuff that he had done after after Tennant regenerated. So she was aware of the flux and all that other stuff that Capaldi and Smith had done um too. So it was a nice way to bring that stuff up again without feeling like you were derailing from whatever story Davies was wanted to tell to do that. Um, and yeah, I am sort of, you know, as much as, you know, I was, and you and I will say this, like I was not really offended by all the timeless child stuff as much of a lot as a lot of people were, because I don't have, you know, back history with this show before Oh five. Like, that seems to be the point at which it infuriated a lot of people. So, like, to me, I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, but I know a lot of people were yeah, infuriated. I mean, our our way of, th- at least my way of thinking about it is basically, it doesn't, you know, if you take it as a new, you know, we're, we're obviously the new series people. We started following what the new series drops. We didn't catch up with any of the old series stuff. But basically... Timeless Child doesn't really dissolve any of the old series. It doesn't make him no. a move point. What it does do, though, is does set it up to background where there's more to it than just the old series. Yeah. So it's like it just gives you, I think it gives you more leeway, gives you more, because you can do anything to the story now. It's like you can go in any direction and you no longer have to worry about, well, you know, that's not exactly how it happened in the old, old series. And if you want to go too far back into the past, this is how you're gonna have to follow it. No, there's like a whole nother story there that just basically, you know, just expands your horizon to the point where there's more of a story to be told. 
You just right. removed boundaries. That's it. That's the only thing you did. Yep. And they basically use this whole this whole bit here to get it to kind of remind people, at least I found it to be this. I don't know what somebody who hadn't watched any of the prior tenant stuff would say to this, but it sort of reminded me of exactly how tortured the tenant version of the character is. Um you know, because he after they separate, he um he just kind of has this moment where he's in a corridor and he just starts like yelling about like how yeah, you know, and he wasn't it wasn't dialogue. He just starts but even, even even that even that discussion that he had with say Donna where he brings up yeah. the flux and he goes like you know, I I destroyed half the universe. You know, it's like I'm yeah. very much aware of that. It's like I can't. Well, that's was, not something you just put out of your mind. What was the argument though? That and I only asked this because it's been a while since we actually did those. Um, his argument was because I don't think he actually flat out said it this way, but it struck me that like. His reasoning for saying, like, oh, yeah, I wrecked half the universe was not that he had something to do with the Flux thing. It was that he didn't stop it quickly enough. So no, a lot of the, planets got... Even the argument that they made in the show, it's like when he goes, like, I blow up half the universe. And it's like, like Donna goes, but yeah, but you didn't do it. He's like, yeah, I know. So it's like, yeah, he doesn't blame himself. But the idea was that he never, he didn't act fast enough to stop it. He didn't figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of how I read it. But uh, but then I tried to I tried to like recall my memory of those, and I was just like, did he actually have something to do with the actual thing itself? I can't remember now. No. Um. Oh, he just took him a little bit longer to figure out, or her a little bit longer to figure it out, and by so, the time then they actually had... figure it out, he was too late to stop it. Yep. So then you get to what. You know, to, to me, the last 20 minutes of this were just flat out, you know, like, it was the best part of it was the last, like, 20 minutes when they had the, yeah, when you have the two doppelgangers and them on opposite sides of that partition, and they're, like, going back and forth with each other about, you know, uh, well, if I don't think this, then you won't know it, whatever, and it's just, like, all this stuff about that, and then that's when they figure out that the captain, the previous captain of the ship was trying to uh, eliminate the the doppelganger things, but she was doing it slowly because if she kept the activity to a minimum, they all, the way they were uh, evolved, they almost wouldn't notice it. So, like the whole idea was to do it really slowly, and like that's why that countdown was like one of the countdown numbers would go up like every ten minutes because it was programmed to be, you know, and then like you would see the robot thing would like a step forward every time one of the countdown numbers went off, but without the context of what it was actually for, you're like, why is this happening? That it, and to me, that was something that before you had it all explained, or then you even you figure, the they actually go and you see that the captain jumped out of the ship. He was the captain who opened the airlock, jumped out and closed the airlock behind her, and she basically killed right. herself because as long, as long as she was alive, those things could actually read her thoughts and figure out what she's done. But because with yep, the robot, there's no mind to actually read. There's nothing they can do stop the robot because they don't know it's coming. Yeah, the, the argument being that it would have eventually copied the captain and then they would have been able to do whatever they wanted. Um, so, 
So, at any point, they made the ship operational to the point where yeah. they could fly out of the nothingness and into, you know, she knew that was going to be a totally disaster and the only way to actually stop it is to blow him up. But the only way to blow yeah. him up is if they don't know it's going to happen. So that was yeah. obviously one of those set it in motion and kill yourself because that's the only way you're going to stop it. So the Doctor and Donna realize they kind of have to let this explosion play out because it's really the only way to get rid of these things, right? So uh, I think he actually speeds it up a little bit, right? Because he realizes, like, if we sit and wait yeah, for it, it's going to be... because once, once, once he figures it out, the fake Doctor figures it out, and at right. that point, they know, the fake Doctor knows what to do to stop it. And the only way for yep. the explosion to actually go through is if they actually speed up the explosion. They sped it up, yeah. So, you know, then yeah. there's this whole thing, and I guess the whole thing with the robot was the robot was supposed to press a button, which would make the ship blow up, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so they basically trigger that, and then there's a whole bit, like the TARDIS comes back right as that's happening. So they have the opportunity to get back in the TARDIS and leave. Well, they also and then so they so have this whole. They also set up that part because the it actually points out that at some point I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like if once he gets to a point where disaster is in you know imminent, the TARDIS actually does come back because right you know, the doctor's there, so you got to save the doctor. Right. So yeah, they. They manage to, um, he gets back on the TARDIS, there's the two Donnas there, and there's the whole thing about, like, there had been a running gag through the hour about, like, uh, her old drama teacher or something, some teacher that she had in, like, primary school or whatever. Yeah. I I love the bit of, like... There is a teacher, I believe. His name was, her name was, like, Mrs. Bean or something, and... Uh, the the way he supposedly identifies Donna is because he goes, what was the teacher's name? And they both go, the the fake and actual Donna both go, Mrs. Bean. And she goes, and, Don, and the doctor says, and why is that funny? And one of them says, because it's the name of a vegetable assigned to a person. And then uh, the other one just goes, because it is. And he thinks the one that that said because it is was actual Donna, which I actually thought that as well because that to me that of the two responses too. that's <laughs> that seemed more more yeah, likely to be what Donna asked one. Say. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, so he pulls one of them into the TARDIS and leaves the other one on on the ship. TARDIS is still there. He hasn't it hasn't like full on disappeared yet or anything. And then, so they spend way too much camera time on what you assume is the fake one, and you find out that it wasn't. He actually took the wrong one onto the TARDIS at first, and then he goes back and 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 he boots the other one out and picks up our real Donna. And cute little ending, I really enjoyed that. And then they go back to Earth, and... They go back to what I assume was that same alley they were in, right? I think it was the same spot that they left from. And they open the doors, and who is out there but 
Wilfred Mott, played by the late great Bernard Cribbins. Uh, as I will say during the, which we said during the Star Beast recording, we were pretty sure he was going to show up at some point during this because I don't think they would have done the whole thing where, where they said in the Star Beast he was basically in like assisted living or whatever. I think if they hadn't, if he hadn't actually been planned to show up, they would have actually said he was dead or whatever. Like the minute they said that in the Star Beast, I knew he was coming back. Um, so well, it's it not. So it you wasn't like a plot didn't thing. Know it was it just was like, yeah, like to what degree was he going to come back? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really like a plot thing. It was just to see them together again. Like it doesn't really. It doesn't really do anything for the plot of whatever the next one is. It's just this moment of like you get to see Tennant and Bernard Cribbins and Catherine Tate all together again. Um, Dude, and great even, dialogue even the re- in there. reaction, even reaction between Cribbins and Tennant when they see each other, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's like just precious man. It was like that's. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna that that was that meal jump. Being my third part of the episode, just because of the love I have for the Wilford character, I think he was one of those criminally yeah, underused ones. And yeah, and seeing him, seeing him on that scene, seeing that reaction between the two of them, like I felt like I was standing, and if I was there, that was that gonna be my reaction. <laughs> and it was just yeah. it was perfect in every way. I also, and it's like, I also loved it. Yeah. I, I, and I, like you, I thought it was going to be in the third one. I thought they were going to save it until the third one. Um, well, again, so this, I, this goes back to, like, we didn't know how much of it he actually faked. We knew he got some of it, but we didn't know how much of it. So I was yeah. hoping there was going to be a little bit more. I'm I'm selfish in a way, thinking that. Yeah. But well, just we'll the fact that, that we got him back. Yeah. yeah, but just the and fact like that we said, got it, like, the whole interaction, the few seconds that he does spend on screen, it, it's just perfect. It's absolutely Yep, and I, totally I loved it. It's great to see him again, yeah. and I'm glad he got a. I'm yeah. glad he got a. Uh, you know, we were both very, we were both very sad when he passed. I remember that. I remember doing. We did end of time around then because we wanted to commemorate it. And, yeah, um, it's sort of in commemoration, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said it. And I I'm it. gonna say it every time I get it. He was. He's one of those guys. I'm. I'm sad by the fact that he never got to be a companion, like even for an yep. episode. Seeing yep. up I, in the well, artist, like, really, I think what, that would be. Really, that's what. And I mean, time I, was it was just. Not... And, yeah, and we they talk about it later on, like when we got Grant. It's like that was the closest you got to actually going yeah, to space. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Grant. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. You know, it was just, I, and the thing I liked about it too is like, it was all in character, but it was done in such a way where you could almost tell it was as much as it was an in character thing. You could almost tell it was just like, hey, Catherine Tate and David Tennant and, and Bernard Cribbins all just really are really good friends, and it was probably this great moment for all three of them to be on that stage again. Know and like I kind of oh, yeah. yeah. viewed it sure. as the actors themselves and not just the characters, which also has its own weight to it. But like you know, and I I think I talked about 
during the Star Beast, like there was some moment during the Star Beast where I got a little choked up at first too, and it might have been. I think I even talked about like uh, laughing maniacally to myself when I realized as I started the Star Beast that this thing was actually happening. Like I thought going into it that it was going to be some kind of dodge, and he wasn't actually going to be, you know, that they were the whole thing was actually going to be what's his face. Uh, Judy got or whatever, and they were trolling us by doing this. So I had this moment, like when his when Tenon's name came up in the credits again. I was like, "Wait, this is actually happening! Holy shit!" Um, but when he showed up in at the end of this one, and it probably would have been worse if I had, you know, you and I both had some idea that he was going to show up again. Um, but I think just the way they executed it, and you could tell how much they all legitimately like each other. And I was just like, oh, that was really nice. Like, I'm really glad they, I'm really glad they did that. Um, so Honestly, the episode basically, in a way, it almost felt like a candid moment that happened off screen that they actually shot and edited into yeah. yeah, just, yeah. And they that's how natural it felt. It was just perfection. I I loved just the just the the way Tennant delivered those lines of like, oh, Wilfred Mutt. Now I feel better about everything. And then just that little bit, like, yep. I think the last line he says is, like, he gives him a hug, and he's like, my old soldier, and I was like, aw, that's so great. Yep. Um, so, yeah, basically what you're led to believe is that while they were away on that spaceship thing, the entire planet Earth has gone to shit. And, like, somebody has, it seemed to me like somebody has either taken over the planet while they were away, or is making moves to do so, and I'm assuming that's going to be the Neil Patrick Harris character that we haven't seen yet. Um, who I'm betting will probably be the central villain of the third special. Um, and, yeah, this one will probably... The giggle will probably pick up right from where this leaves off. Um, oh, you know... Downside? So, actually... Yeah, the one... I actually pulled it up. I was actually able to find it. So, when they made up, like... The doctor goes, Wilfred Mutt. Oh, now I feel better. Now nothing is wrong. Nothing in the whole wide world. Hello, me old soldier. And then Wilfred goes up. I never thought I'd see you again after all these years. Oh, doctor, a lovely face. It's like springtime. Yes, yeah, it was yeah, a great yeah, The whole thing was just perfect. It's, it's just the smiles on their faces, man. The whole thing just felt natural. Yep. And he actually... It's sad to think, but I think he probably died a couple weeks after that was filmed because he looked pretty good. I mean, yeah. he looked he looked about. Yeah. I mean, he looked older, obviously, but it wasn't like he, oh, he wasn't like hooked up to an iron lung or something. Yeah, um, he wasn't so, at that doorstep. Yeah, so the the production downside of this, like I was hoping that. There was going to be more of him in the third one too, uh, but apparently after this one dropped, Davies took to Twitter and said, "Yeah, we wrote more than this, but he died before we could actually do it." So, what you see in Wild Blue Yonder is all there's going to be. Unfortunately, um, I think he said that he will be mentioned in the third one in a couple spots, but you won't see him again, unfortunately. And they did do the. As you mentioned in our pre-show off-air section, 
they did do the in loving memory of Bernard Cribbins and his birth and death dates at the end of this one. So I kind of figured that meant he wasn't coming back again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought this was, I thought this was really fun. Um, I kind of forgot what Davies monster of the week type shows were because he hasn't done the show in so long. Um, and it was actually it was a very effective monster of the week sort of thing. So I was really happy with it. Um, I do think these will, yep. when all three of these are done and out there, I do think these will play differently if you just watch them all continuously, and they do separately. I mean, it was general uh, but idea. I do I think still believe it. watching watching this one, watching Wild Blue Yonder, I definitely feel like this was, was probably a long episode that they decided to cut into three pieces. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I, I, fully, to I fully believe they were intended to be watched back and back and back. Oh, yeah. Makes and sense. probably they they, it's like in my, like, they're cut off perfectly. Yeah, whenever I watch them again, I will probably try to do that. Um, just be, at least oh, once, yeah. just to see if it plays any different, differently that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say, I'm hoping, you know, and I'd be fine with the the third one if it hits the same length, like 55 to 58, but I wouldn't be shocked if the last one's like 90, you know, because that tends to be what... Yeah, this felt like your standard length, you know, Doctor Who special. Yeah, and you you know what I would love, and I don't know if they will do this, I would love if there was through some, you know, because obviously the whatever circumstances led to Tennant coming back again were probably, you know, in the story, if they ever explain it, which I'm assuming the third one will do, that's probably going to be kind of screwed up. Like, in some way, it's probably going to be some screwed up thing that caused it or whatever. So I wonder if, like, I would love to see, and I don't know if they'll do this, because I also don't know what the availability of this actor was at the time, but I would love to see something where the whatever the the big threat is in this final one is so big that the regeneration happens before the very end. And it happens in some weird way so that the two of them have to work together to fix whatever it is. Well, I mean, so it'll, like, it'll definitely be interesting <laughs> to see what it is. Yeah. I would love it. to, I would love to see the two of them, even if it's just for like 10 minutes and just cause I don't think that's something they've ever done with a, regeneration either and obviously the whole like backward regeneration thing is something they've never done until now um i would love to see something okay, with so, so i just i Gap- just pulled it up and it looks oh. like the runtime for oh. the gig is going to be one hour one minute okay so it's about the same um yeah so it's the longest of the three. It's the longest of the three, but it's not like they did ninety minutes. Um, yeah, but so. you know that's the whole thing in three hours, basically. So definitely, yeah. you know, when you watch them back to back to back, feels yeah. about right. You know, so, three hours. No, watch. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm really curious about this one. I'm really, you know, and, and the other thing is they rarely use American actors. So I'm. Really yeah. curious what uh what Neil Patrick Harris is gonna do here. Um you know, and I almost kinda wonder too if like one of the one of the aspects of the Disney thing is going to be they're gonna be able to get bigger guest stars to do this show now because they have the money. 
So that's definitely on the table, I think. Yeah, I think. But I think one of the things again, they, again, this goes, this goes into the whole. I don't want them to do it for the sake of, like, if if the story allows, you know, that oh, yeah. thing where it's yeah, like, you don't I don't want, want you. I don't. I because here's the thing. I don't think Disney, uh, BBC is gonna be like, hey, now we got the bucks. Now we can spend, you know, huge chunks of money on stuff. But it's like if the, you know, we're not gonna bring somebody in just for sake. Bringing somebody in. Yeah, so. I did read though that when the when the deal was first announced, and you know, Disney's whole thing was saying that they didn't really want creative control over it; they just want to be able to put it on Disney Plus, I guess. And one of the things that the BBC had said that they were going to use it for was, you know, and clearly they're using it for the effects. You can see that in yeah, the two course. that we've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the the two major things they said they were going to try to use the influx of money for was uh, more and better location shooting and uh, higher caliber guest stars. So, sure. Um, I'm actually quite interested. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly yeah. And basically, you can you can already see going into the sets and stuff. And obviously, yeah. you can see it with the guest stars because I mean. There's no way BBC brings Neil Patrick Harris to do this. Yeah, and I'm really, I'm you know, really you, curious. You're not paying him that money, but you know, with yeah. Disney money, sure. Yep. And you know, this actually makes me think. You know, uh, I just had this thought just now. Like, I am fully in for you know uh, the shooty Gatwa period when we get to that at Christmas, but like. I wonder too if that will, if at some point, you know, and my immediate thought was somebody like Helen Mirren, who has actually said she would want to, would want to be the doctor at some point. Um, I would wonder if the Disney money will actually at some point allow them to put a bigger actor at its center than, you know what I mean? Like, usually it's like British nobodies um, at the time. But I wonder yeah. if at some point the, the influx of Disney money will allow them to put a to put an established actor at center someday, um, which would be interesting to think about. So yeah, really look really enjoyed this one again. Uh, I as I said when we did the first one, I think these are gonna get these three are gonna get a lot of replay in my house probably for a good while, um, just because they have been really fun. Uh, I'm curious to see how. Tenant's gonna go out again, um, just because I I wonder if I don't think it'll be another one of those really long drawn out regeneration scenes like Davies has a penchant for, because um, I just don't I think he got a lot of criticism for how long kind of self indulgent the first Tenant one was. I think it'll be way shorter, um, but I'm curious to see what the circumstances for that will be. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I'd almost be curious to see, you know, if we didn't already know that um, the next guy is getting a new companion, I would almost have been interested to see, like, maybe Christmas was him and Donna, you know, because maybe Donna's there when he regenerates and he's kind of she's kind of stuck with him for a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't think they're doing I that. I don't necessarily um, want to do that. 
I mean, just from the aspect yeah. of Donna clearly, you know, caretake clearly came back just to do this stuff with Tenant. And yeah, I mean, she clearly not neither 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 of them is obviously going to stick on past the you know specials. So it just yeah. made and I mean, more she, sense for God. And you want to, I think, I think one aspect of it is also you wouldn't want to saddle the new doctor with the old companion. So it makes right. if yeah. if you make if you make a clean break, a fresh start, it like just makes a lot more sense to doing it both yeah. with the with the doctor and the companion. And it sounds like the Christmas special will introduce that new person as well. Um, they haven't actually said that, but if you've paid attention to some of the stuff they have announced about that character, I I get the sense that she's going to show up in the in the Christmas show. Um, will be where she's first brought in. So, um, and I think that'll work just fine. I mean, yeah, that, I, they've French at the Ruby Road, so you know, or whatever. Yep. It's, it's, yeah, they've done they've done that kind of thing before. That's not um new territory necessarily. So I'm curious to see how that'll be done. Um, but we do have one more before we get, and thankfully the break between this and Christmas is only like two weeks too. Not like not like they're doing yeah. these, and we have to wait three months. Christmas to show up, so, and then I, I would bet years. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about exactly when. Uh, I'm calling it season fourteen. I know Disney and whoever else is officially calling it season one again for whatever reason. Um, oh, it's season but, fourteen. Come on. Yeah, I Don't haven't. I haven't heard anything. Oh. Say, I haven't heard anything officially saying when season fourteen is going to start. My guess is it'll be, I would, uh, from what I understand, it's all finished. It's all been filmed at least. So my guess is it's probably going to be, uh, March, April, May, something like that. I don't think, I mean, I think they'll want to give it a couple months, but I don't think, I don't think they want the break to be that long because they probably still want to be able to capitalize on the momentum that these are, that these things are doing now are giving this show again. Um, so yeah, I would think it'll be probably first couple months of 24. We see the first full season with Gatwa, which will be really interesting. Yeah, to we do. Do the uh, first half of the year. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, this will be our first, you know, we've done as far as Dr. Who on this podcast, we did season 13 and these special things, and this will be our first, you know, stuff with a new doctor, really. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that stuff plays out. And I haven't heard anything about, like, how many episodes are they doing per year or anything like that. I, you know, I would bet it'll be more than they did with Whitaker, because I think Davies liked those longer season things. And I'm guessing Disney will want enough content for their money that you're probably going to get 10, 12 a year. Um, so we'll see. Um, and we will reconvene at some point next week for the giggle, depending on... You said you had some kind of job thing, maybe, right? Yeah. yeah. Might not be able okay. to even... Yeah, I have to figure out. Okay, so, so we'll play, we'll play it by ear. Sure. Um, I might actually have... I might actually have a guest for the Christmas one, assuming we don't do it on Christmas. Um... One of the guys that I yeah, know... Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not going to do it on Christmas. <laughs> no, I'll watch it on I'll Christmas. Watch it. 
I'll watch it on Christmas, but I don't think we're going to record it on Christmas at all. Um, yeah. One of the guys I know through the Mission Log group, one of the guys I know through the Mission Log group had actually expressed some interest in maybe coming on and doing doing a Christmas show. Um, but I'll figure that out with him as it gets a little closer, obviously. Um, and we will figure out time sometime in the near future to do special number three. And uh, I do know that uh, Josh and Brendan have seen Godzilla Minus One, and at some point they're going to review that. Um, we have some stuff in the bank that we haven't put out yet. Uh, we're gonna we're hoping to do the holdovers soon because uh, a couple of us have seen that and really liked. It, so that's something that I know we're gonna try to do in the near future. Um, so yeah, have a great night. I'm gonna go watch the uh, Celtics Pacers tournament game right now. Um. Yeah. See how that goes. I'd say good luck, but uh, I I want my guys to win. Yeah, you kind of root for the, the other team there, so yeah, we'll have a conversation after I've had a chance to sit down and watch that. So, all right, man, yeah. we'll turn the robot off. Here. Sounds good. Um, all right. Here we go.